The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion's making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Put your hands together and say amen, amen, and amen, and amen. You may be seated. Last week, I began to preach about a hedge of protection started with a word that God given me. The picture is a family inside. Children may be dismissed up to children's ministry. Praise the Lord. If you so choose. By the way, uh, let me just say, I got a, uh, 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 in a conversation with somebody that said, you know something, one of the reasons I, I like KC is I do not have to put my kids in children's church. And let me just tell you right now, you do not have to put your kids in children's church. And now they, they need to behave themselves in here, not cause distractions that, you know, I mean, minor things. I mean, screaming and freaking out if you would be honoring of everybody that's here, you know, of course. But I think kids need to be in the main service too. And that's why Sunday night, we don't have kids' church Sunday night on purpose. So that your kids understand what it is to hear the word of God and be in church with the rest of the generations. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. All right. The picture is a, a hedge. Like a boxwood hedge. For those of you that know what it is. Very thick hedge. 20 feet plus tall, going around a godly family. Inside the hedge is a man of God, a woman of God, and their children. Outside the hedge is a, is a lion, but not just any lion, a really a, a demon lion. I mean, ugly, mean, snarling, nasty, the most gruesome, fearsome, ugliest thing you can imagine, terrifying, Safe inside, not safe outside. And in a moment, this lion jumps over the seemingly impossible hedge that could not normally be cleared by such a beast, jumps over, lands inside the safety with his family, grabs one of the kids by the groin and in this area, leaps back up over the hedge and disappears into the wilderness to the shock and horror of the mother and father and the siblings as they scream and cry out to God. We talked last week, and that's what I started last, last Wednesday with. And we talked last week about a hedge of protection and how many in this day do not have the kind of protection that they need in this hour in which we live. I am not one that believes that there's a demon behind every bush. I think there's 12. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, we, we don't turn heel. We don't live in fear of the enemy. Amen. Every day we wake up, we're confident that he says, Oh, no! He's awake again. You should be known in heaven and feared in hell. That is absolutely the way it should be. And we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's been destroying the lives since, since the garden, he's been destroying lives. And it would be very foolish to think 
that he couldn't destroy our lives if we're not mindful, if we don't understand the day and the hour and the schemes of the enemy. And of course, the strategies or the, the dynamic by which we as the people of God are protected. Now, I, I don't know if you've, if you've been with some of the church mothers or, or fathers for that matter, or the people who would pray, Oh God! Bring a hedge of protection around them. They're not praying that God would grow up a piece of greenery that would come around you and that the green, like the devil's afraid of green vegetation or something. The devil's not afraid of green vegetation. Can somebody say amen? The blood, however, is a picture of the hedge. A hedge of protection. The devil is afraid of the blood. And there is, and I've preached in other messages about pleading the blood of Jesus and what that means. And so there's a protection that can come through prayer and through intercession. And in fact, you ought to have that. You'd best have it in this day and hour. Then we looked at 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I want to review this because it's powerful, especially for those who had not heard it. And I'm, I'm also understanding, having trained for many, many years and been a part of numerous athletic teams, that calisthenics and, and, uh, and training like that puts things in you you know, if you constantly train to take apart a rifle, isn't that right, John? Then you, you can do that thing with your eyes closed. I remember my dad used to tell me he could put his whole rifle together. He's a Marine. Uh, is a Marine, I should say. He's a lawyer now, but he's once a Marine, always a Marine. Semper Fi. Pain is good, all that. I mean, I mean you know, my, so my father said, you know, he could just put his, his, his ammo together and everything, you know, all together with his eyes closed. There's certain things that you need to train to do. You need to train yourself as a believer. You need to do these things. So we looked at 2 Samuel 11, and I want to review these four, these four hedges, if you will, and I ask you rhetorically, so that you were to ask yourself this question, are you hedged in as a man of God, as a woman of God? Are you hedged in? So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to review the four hedges, and you're going to take a look by the searching of the Holy Ghost, whether you're hedged in tonight. And if you're not, I would strongly encourage you to build a hedge. Now, there's hedge that comes by prayer and intercession. Praise the Lord. The kind I'm talking about is mostly the kind that you grow. You have to grow one. Come on, somebody say, I have to grow one. The second picture and illustration that I will move on to in part two tonight is this. We have uh, chickens at our house. Anybody ever raise poultry? Well, we have these birds. They're meat birds. They're Cornish crossover, Cornish game hen crossover. They attacked my wife the other day. They're coming close to when the time they're going to serve us by, by dying and putting food in my freezer. And so they're really pretty aggressive right now. So they attacked my wife, so it was my turn to feed them. And I was really kind of looking forward to it, actually, because I'm not sure how they were going to, you know, how they would respond to my clogs and all. Anyway, I got in there, was able to feed them without a scratch. It was great. The chickens, they, they're sort of together. We're building our chicken coop, and it's, it's, it's very MacGyvered right now. <laughs> all right, so we're going to have a cute little chicken coop when it's all done, but we don't have it done yet. John's going to help me. Where are you at, John? Give me an amen somewhere. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I want you to imagine 
chicken wire, just a giant chicken coop. And above it now, the most beautiful babies you could ever see on top of the chicken, on top of that chicken wire. Of course, you would never put a baby on a chicken wire, but bear with me for a moment. And yet the babies aren't babies. They're actually full grown. And they're people. And they cry out, feed me, feed me. And a pastor comes and sticks a bottle in his mouth and the baby gets fed. And there's cell leaders running around and worship people trying to help them to worship. And they're just going frantic everywhere trying to help hundreds of thousands of babies. And I saw the Lord come with a pair of these. And from underneath began to snip all the chicken wire that was holding all those babies up. And they all fell. Some of them got bruised, frankly. Some of them were injured. But the moment they hit the ground, they instantly morphed into some mature believers and began to learn how to feed themselves. We'll get to that. (laughs) You're like, I'm not sure if I... Glad I came to church or not tonight. Praise the Lord. Okay, well. Are you hedged as a man of God, a woman of God? Ecclesiastes 10. Now, this is review from last week for those of you who were not here and for review as calisthenics for those of you that were. Ecclesiastes 10.8. Whoever breaks through a wall or a hedge may be bitten by a snake. Now, some people have not been bitten. They don't have a hedge built, and they've not been bitten yet, so they don't think it's a big deal. There's many people in the body of Christ that are touching stuff, meddling with things, doing things they should never do. And just because they had not been bit yet, they don't think it's really all that big a deal. The enemy has, in his wisdom, will wait. Listen, my my wife and I and a group of uh, folks I run with, we kind of do autopsies. And I don't mean to say it in a bad way, but it's horrible when somebody crashes and burns and they destroy their life, they destroy their marriage, they destroy their ministry, they destroy their business. And we love to help people like that. In fact, part of the anointing that's upon this house, and even in future days, you will see men and women of God who have been waylaid from other places and other lands will end up in our house. It's already happened over and over and over and over again. It's already happened without naming names. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They will continue to come because that is, the, that, that is who we are. We're a house of restoration also. And so... When we see somebody whose life is destroyed, it's sad. But if they're willing, we help them put the things back together. But in the process of putting it back together, I like finding out exactly how did that happen, actually. How, how do you like a David? Let's just pick on David. Psalm 27. Psalm 27 th- seven says, One thing I desire that... That I will seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord. How do you write the Psalms and Psalm 27 and end up committing adultery with with Beersheba? Beersheba. Bathsheba, pardon me. Beersheba is a place. Pretty hard to commit adultery with a place. But Bathsheba. How How do you do that? How do you write Psalm 27 or write the Psalms and be this guy who can't even sleep unless he's near the ark to committing adultery? So I, you know... Second Samuel, though, you all there? Second Samuel. 
let me, let me speak to this because it's an important point. Many people have not been bit yet, and I, and I want to tell you that the enemy will wait in his wisdom. will wait till you're right at the point where he can create the most collateral damage and the biggest pain in your life, and then he blows you up. And he'll wait, he'll wait, and he can, he'll wait for years. He'll wait years and years and years and years with a stronghold that you've been nursing, a wound that you have, an offense that you've been coddling in your life, and then right on cue, you can get blown up. That's why you never want to let the sun go down on your wrath. Can you say amen? You never want to let anything get in there. You want to guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. You want to keep a very short list. You want to forgive and be forgiven. You want to be Christ-like. Amen. I mean, I... I've, honestly, I realized today as I was talking to my wife today, I realized I'm a, I've got an offense. Not with my wife. Praise God. We sort that out every night. Praise the Lord. I'm usually the one that's doing the fending. Jesus, help me. Oh, we do well. Praise God. But that's the key of a healthy marriage. I realized that there was a, a, a friend of mine who's not in the state. and I realized I'd gotten a little bit offended. So I called him, by the way. Amen. Can't preach a message like this and not deal with stuff. Amen. That the enemy will wait until he can put the bite on you, so you keep a very short list. So this hedge, these hedges for David were broken. Here's the first one. Here's the first hedge. Now it happened. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. So we're going to talk about how these four hedges, how to build them. We'll look at how David didn't build it or let it be destroyed. And how we need to, and then we'll move on to the chicken wire with the baby thing. Y'all. Now it happened in the spring of, this, of, of that year, at the time when the kings go to battle. At the what? At the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all of Israel, and they de destroyed the people of Ammon. It's the first problem right there in this powerful example of a man who caused the hedge to be dropped. The first one is, you've got to be doing the will of God. There is a hedge of protection that comes when you're doing God's will. There's a hedge of protection that comes when you're moving forward in the plan of God. And David did not go. It says at the time, in springtime when kings go to war. Well, he's a king. He didn't go to war. He was not where he was supposed to be. Now, I will tell you that there is a, it is not always easy, shock, shock, to doing the will of God. This morning, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what the deal was, but I couldn't go to sleep till about 2, 2.30. Everybody else is just Z's all over the house. Everybody's sleeping. And I'm sitting there interceding. And then finally, I, around 2.30, I think I passed out. Well, I got to get up early. I got to get up early for prayer. Now, listen, I... I did not want to get up. And it's an interesting thing about prayer is right when it's time for me to get up, that is absolutely the most precious, anointed, amazing time for sleep. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm just like God speaking to me. I'm just in, oh, I'm in dreamland. He's talking. There's angels. It's awesome. Everything's perfect. My pillow's not too hot. There's a little breeze. And it's fantastic. It smells good. I don't want to get up. And so as I lie there, I have a commitment to get up. And I get, the excuses start rolling. Dude, you didn't go to sleep till 2.30. For real, get real. You need your rest. I mean, you've got meetings today. 
I'm like, oh, God, I got to get up. And all the excuses come on. Come on, Pastor Alex can lead the meeting. Come on. Some of those other people are going to be there. Some of your staff's going to be there. At the, at, in the springtime when the kings go to war. I'm going to tell you where my, at, at that particular time of the day, I need to be in prayer. I've made a commitment to be in prayer. Before you, I've made the commitment to be. I've called you, and some of you have blown off your commitment. I'll, I'll go over here. Come on, we did a, like a 90-day thing about 30 days ago. Some of you remember that? Okay, so we're only 30 days into it. How you doing? Okay, so... So I, I'm lying there, and I'm making, I'm making up these reasons, you know. You know, I'm, my body hurts, I, I, and I need more rest, and, and on and on. And the Lord just speaks to me something that my pastor told me. Leaders lead. Leaders lead. And all I could hear is, leaders lead. I'm like, I don't want to lead today. You know what I mean? All the extent. So I just pray in tongues usually, and then, there's, and then, I, and then I set... I know the time, I, it takes me three minutes. Sorry, ladies, for all of you, it takes less than, probably more than three minutes to get out the house. For me, three minutes. Up, boom, sweats, bam, out the house, in the truck, whoo, down the road, three minutes. I'm looking at the clock. I know how long it takes to get to church. I got to get here. And I'm thinking, all of a sudden, you know, I hit the mark where, that's it. It's, I'm going to get it. Either going to sin or I'm going. Okay, so guess what? I went. <laughs> I can't say that I've always done that. David was supposed to be at war. And when you do not do what you've been called to do and you send others, you'll notice he sent, look how many times he sends people. When you begin to send somebody that, that God called you to do, you begin to be a sender instead of be a sent one. There's certain things that only I can do. There's certainly things that only you can do. As a, as a head of your household, sir, there's, only cer there's certain things you can do. Ladies. Men, women, children, you have to do the will of God. And when you do the will of God, it brings protection in your life. There's a protection that comes from walking in the purposes of God. A protection that comes from walking in our destiny. And a sharpness that comes. An alertness in God that comes. When I'm doing what God called me to do, I'm flowing in, flowing in prayer, flood, prophesying, reaching the lost, Going for it, I'm, I'm sharp, way sharper than when I'm relaxed. You know, we just want to be comfortable. When you advance the kingdom, there's something fresh that comes to your life. That's the first hedge. David let it drop. He didn't go out to do what he was supposed to do. The second thing you'll see is the hedge of protection of the people of God he sets in your life. David sent out Joab. He sent out his mighty men. These are the ones, some of them were even from Bethlehem, the place that he grew up. He knew them. They fought together. They were in the cave of Adullam together. They warred together. He sends them out. Now, I promise you, Joab, do you remember Joab? Do you remember when David had a problem with Absalom? David was so entangled emotionally that he couldn't deal with Absalom. Joab went and did what had to get done. He killed him. I'm not prescribing killing people, but I'm telling you that certain things do need to be killed in your life, and you need people near you, next to you, that will stand with you and say, hey, dude, you need, to, you need to dagger that thing. You need to deal with that lust. You need to deal with that pride. You need to deal with that, that slothful attitude. My wife rebuked me today. I mean, I kind of came to my own revelation, but then she encouraged me. I realized I, I'm offended. I think I'm offended. She goes, yeah, you're offended. I, oh, great. I made a phone call. Didn't get to talk to him yet. 
But I will. I'll do it as soon as I possibly can. I've started, you know, in another time zone. I'm, I'm moving in that direction. Amen. Well, I've, got a, I've got my wife is my number one beat me down. You know what I'm talking about? Number one, she holds, she holds my shut up card. I'm not saying she beats me down, but I mean, you have to have somebody. <laughs> You've got to have somebody that holds your shut up card. Sit down and zip it. You know, when you've got this dream of this thing and you know it's from God, but they know you better than you know yourself. And they know your weaknesses. They know your strengths. They've known you for years. They're mature. They're not trying to manipulate you, not trying to get over on you. They'll love you enough not to give a flip about what your feelings are. And they tell you, sit down. Let me talk to you right now. If you don't have people like that in your life, then you have a very big hole in your hedge. Yeah. Got a big hole in your shrubbery of protection. <laughs> and, and don't use this one either. God said, God told me. You leave no room. Is it possible that you could maybe make a mistake? So don't, when you come to somebody who you're, you're getting counsel from or wisdom from, which in there is wisdom in the multitude of them, don't start out with God told me. Because what are they going to say? Okay, I mean, when somebody says that to me, God told me, I'm, I'm listening. Many times people that are on the road to destruction will tell me, God told me, and then there's no, what do you say to that? Now, obviously, if it's contrary to scripture and totally messed up with the precepts of the word, you can say, dude, that's not even scriptural, so that's not God. But in there, there, there is, you know, moving, and certain things can be order in order in their life, and there's you know, a point of decision that they can make. And, and there's nothing really in here to tell you exactly whether you should buy the house or not buy the house. You know, I mean, you're, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, if it's far above the income that you're making, but you believe God's going to give you a $100,000 raise that year and you're a janitor, you know, you know, then maybe we can talk about how, how maybe your wisdom's off a little bit and we'll pray for you, right? Right? Does this make sense? David was not doing what he was supposed to do. Secondly, he sent out the people that would throw the shut-up card at him. They're not even there. If Joab was by the door when he went to go get Bathsheba, I guarantee you he'd say, hey, your majesty, bad idea. Remember, remember, that's Uriah's wife. That's called adultery. David, can we look at the Ten Commandments together? Let's talk, David. David, I think you've gone askew somewhere. Here, let's sit down and pray. Can we pray about this for a second, David? No, there's nobody there. They're gone. If you stop doing the purposes of God, stop advancing the kingdom, and you start just relaxing and, 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 and resting on your laurels, then you're in trouble. Number two, if you send people away that would tell you to sit down and be quiet, if I can not say shut up, I don't know if you're offended by that. Sit down, zip your lip, and listen up. The third thing, the third thing that we see that David, and I've never seen this before until I preached it last week, the hedge of prayer and covering of worship and intercession. See, where do you get that from? Verse 11 of 2 Samuel chapter 11, 11, 11. Uriah said to David, the ark of Israel and Judah is dwelling in a tent. You know, when they sent out the army, so he's not with them. He sends the men out. Two, had, two things busted. 
The, the third thing is he sends the ark. David, who wrote Psalm 27, who couldn't stand to even sleep without being near the ark, now is not even near the ark because he sent it out to war. And when you start to lose your desire for worship and you begin to lose your passion for prayer and you begin to lose your hunger for the presence of God, you're in some serious trouble. So we're talking about how the hedges are broken down. The idea is then, conversely, how do you grow a hedge? One, do the will of God. Follow the word. Get involved. Serve. Amen. Do what God's called you to do. Two, develop relationships. Build relationships. I've got relationships and I pray for them. I pray, God, give me relationships. People that will stand with me steadfast. I'm not talking weak, need, anemic Christianity. I can't stand being surrounded by yes men. I hate it. I need as much help as I can get. Y'all have no idea. I need a lot of help. God's obviously helping us as we move as a team. Don't surround yourself with people who go, oh, yeah, that's probably the Lord, when, when, you, when, when it isn't. You want to surround yourself with people, right? And the, the, the third thing is practice the presence of the Lord. Pray. Get in the Word. Go to church. Have a life of worship. Have time when you're alone with God, not just you and your smartphone. Hello. I was, saw some thing on YouTube or, I don't know, it was on Facebook. And th this couple, they're, getting, they're saying their vows. And th the lady has a veil down. The groom is next to her, and she reaches into her dress and pulls her phone out and is texting during, during the wedding ceremony. She finishes, sticks it back in her dress, and the husband is, the, you know, the groom, he's like looking at her. I think he probably should have thought, uh, dude, Houston, we have a problem. The fourth thing I, I need to say with regard to the ark is that the priest went with it. And so the 24-7 prayer movement is over now. And I really didn't study this whole thing out to see exactly where. I mean, the ark is gone. I don't know how long. If you look at when he had 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week prayer and worship, you had the, 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 uh, the, the priests were at Shiloh, but the ark was allowed to stay in Jerusalem. How many of you know that text of Scripture when it first, first comes back and David sets up families and worshipers and musicians all around the ark? It's veilless worship. There's no, there's no holy of holies. God allowed for this new prescribed way of, uh, not prescribed, but maybe prescribed by the Spirit, a new way of worship. The, the, the priests were still doing their sacrifices in Shiloh, but he had the power. It's the same thing that we're at right now. Here's where we're at in the body of Christ. We got people going through the motions with no power, dead, pharisaical in some cases, religious. You know, not changing lives. And then you have the ark. You have the power of God that's being manifested all over the world. You've got, in many cases, dead denominationalism. I know God's moving to denominations too. He's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. That means all flesh. That means Christian flesh. That means all flesh. He's pouring out his spirit.
denominations, non-denominations, AG churches, Presbyterian churches. But you know as well as I do that you can go to a church that's got a particular name on it that's supposed to be moving in the spirit. You raise your hand there and they'll ask you if you have a question. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about dead church. So there's, there's dead churches and there's churches that are alive. I hope to be part of the live ones. I mean, I'm thankful for what God's doing, but I know there's more. We're probably ankle deep. Come on, how many are you thirsty and hungry for more? I'm thirsty and hungry for more. David sends off the ark to war and all his intercessors, the priests, I mean, they all go. So who's covering him in prayer now? The worship's not taking place. They're at war. He should be with it, but he's not. All right, fourthly, and we'll move on to this new word with the chicken wire. I know you'll love it. Personal holiness is the fourth hedge of protection that you need to grow. You need to grow these things. They don't just come. They're not organic. They, they, they come by you consciously throwing out seeds to grow them. Look for, look for opportunities to serve God. Look to fulfill what God's placed in your heart. And we've talked about that before. Where he's given you a burden. He's, he's given you a passion. Look to move forward, to serve, or be a part of that. Amen. Don't just be a pew jockey. Number two, develop relationships where people will tell you the truth. People will speak life to you in love. Don't surround yourself with abusers. I, I used to have some people in my life that were, would tell me the truth, but it was total abuse and control. Like we're not into controlling anybody. We want God to lead you. You to be led by the Spirit of God. So as many as led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. It's not our job to control you, pick out your house, your color, your furniture. I'm never going to do any of that. And if you do go somewhere where somebody tells you what kind of couch you buy and who you should marry, run. Run as fast as you can away from that place. I'm not going to run and, you know, get all up in your grill and find out how much you're tithing and all of that. I'm not doing any of that. Now, I will from time to time when somebody's going through a hard time, they say, would you please pray for my finances? I will then, at times, led by the Spirit, ask you, do you tithe? And if somebody says, uh, I, 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 then, then I'm going to say, hey, man, how can I pray God's blessing on you if you don't obey the word of tithing? Great, I got like three amens. All right. So you've got you've to develop... You've got to do the will of God. You've got to develop relationships. Number three, you've got to have a time of worship and prayer. Apart from here, anybody can worship God with Minister Micah up front on a Wednesday night. Oh, sure, easy. At home, bust out your CD. Do whatever you got to do. I make my own music. Shock, shock. Anybody else? I sing in the shower. I sing in the spirit. I sing in my car. I talk to myself. So did the psalmist. Come on, I've told you before. Why so downcast on my soul? I don't know. Put your hope in God. Okay. Jesus! I'm talking to myself. You know you need to talk to yourself? Somebody need to tell yourself to be quiet. I've done that. Stop, 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 stop. Myself, talking to myself. You stop it. It's like my spirit. It's an override. The power of the Holy Ghost. Rise up on the inside of you. Give you a scripture. Prophesy over your own life. Amen. I'm totally serious. Some of you guys are looking at me like, what? You look like a West Texas frog in a hailstorm. 
All you Texans said, amen. And the fourth thing is personal holiness. We preached on this not long ago, but Jesus said he, the, the, the God of this, of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. It's a profound statement because it means that actually, I know he's God and everything, but fully man, fully God, Jesus saying Satan has no hold on me should indicate something to you like, mm, but then maybe he could? Okay, well, he's Jesus, and he, so he can't because Jesus is sinless and he never sinned. It, amen, never did, never will. But the point is that he can have a hold on somebody. And if he can have a hold on you, and I shared this story last week, which with about my wife, we got in a big spat, some big argument. I'm sure I was wrong. Anyway, I ended up on the couch. Oh, I want it's a long time ago. Amen. I don't ever. I'm not on the couch anymore, and neither is she ever. Amen. There's no. You're on the couch. There's none of that. There's none of that garbage. And and let me just say, uh, and there's no withholding either. Do I need to explain that? Okay, good. Like. There's none of that. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> what are we talking about? I got distracted for a second. We get away from here. Praise the Lord. We're going over here. <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The story. So I got an argument. I was on the couch. And again, I don't do that anymore. But I'm on the couch now. And I'm sitting there. And I'm about, I'm, I'm dozing off. I'm, I'm angry. She's angry. Big fight, you know. You know, an argument. Nobody's smashing stuff or anything. So I start going to sleep, and I have this, this vision of all the walls of my house beginning to open like a garage door opener. All of the door, all of the walls, all four walls are lifting, and outside I begin to hear the sound of the demonic horde. And I get the scripture by the Holy Ghost, do not let the sun go down on your wrath and give the devil a foothold. I went, oh God. I sat straight up. I was like, repent. I went in the other room. I'm so sorry. I was like, can I get back in bed now? Praise the Lord. Amen. And it's all, and the doors closed down. Some of you got the garage doors of your house wide open spiritually. You'd be angry for three days. Listen, sometimes it takes a little, when it says don't let the sun go down in your wrath, we do take that literally, but I do believe that it's a time period. You can, you know, you can go through stuff. God forbid you'd really have some atrocity happen to you, your family. You can get angry over that stuff. You just, it can take sometimes a period of time, but set a time limit. And for us, it's literally, but, but I do believe in context, it's don't let, set a time limit to your anger. Don't, don't, don't let it go on infinite. Holding a grudge is not of God. All right, number four, holiness. All right, we're talking about that. You get it? We good? So you got to live right. If you live right, it protects you. Purity will protect you. It protects you. Then I was reading the, in the Psalms, about, and, and Proverbs about how righteousness, a righteous man is led, a righteous man is guided, a righteous man is protected. Look, we're not just talking about imputed righteousness. We're talking about imparted righteousness. In other words, imputed righteousness comes from Jesus, death and crucifixion, his blood, his dying in your place. Imparted righteousness is that which you lived out. You live right. And when you live right, it just does damage to the enemy. Everybody say personal holiness. All right. The next thing I want to talk about, and we'll move on to the chicken vision, is slivers. And they really kind of go together, but how many of you know what a sliver is? 
How many know what a wedge is? A wedge. Uh, I started cutting trees when I got up here, and I, got a, I was just really into it, and I bought a, a, a real nice chainsaw and uh, started, I watched a, just, I don't know how many YouTube videos of chainsaw safety I've watched, but man, I got my chaps and my helmet and my face guard and the earring, hearing protection. Old timers laugh at me. Uh, but I did fall into my saw with my chaps on, and I'm walking around with no scars today. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. So, you know, accidents happen. Anyway, just so thankful. But one of the things I began to learn was about using wedges and dropping trees. And it's amazing how you can move such a big piece of timber with a wedge. And I got to thinking about this and, and thinking about, I remember I, I broke my arm when I was uh, probably 13 years old, riding a bike. And I had a bagged accident, I broke my arm and I was in a cast. Full arm cast, when they cook it down to the half arm cast, is then I decided to learn to surf. It's a good year to learn to surf. I had a cast on, first year that polyurethane casts came out so you could get them wet. And so I just learned to surf. Now, I, and I still surf. It's interesting that for many years when I would push up on my board, I, I couldn't grab the board because of my cast, so I'd use my fist. So I surfed for the whole next four weeks with a cast on. And I'll never forget going in to see Dr. Stuart Polisner. He, he was a, a tremendous doctor and a friend of the families. And he, he grew up, uh, you know, 50s and 70s. He was, you know, in school. And so he still, wore, he still wears bell bottoms and a big buckle. And he's just, a, you know, he's just long hair, real successful guy. Anyway, he's a trip. And so uh, I went to go see him, and they, re they x-rayed my arm, and they found out that it was bent. It was going the wrong way for me pushing up on the surfboard all the time. So uh, they took my cast, and they put just these little grooves right here and took a little itty-bitty wedge and shoved it in there and put this pressure on my arm to move it over. And, and it healed perfectly. Most, mostly. <laughs> I have a little bit of an anatomical difference in my left arm. If the enemy, if you, would, if you would talk to people who've lived long enough, you will find that people have lost relationships because the enemy gets in there and he begins to drive a wedge. And if you have the kind of self-talk that I've been hearing in my own head even recently over my situation, you ought to check yourself. Which is like, well, you know, that guy's just a rascal, or he's a handful, or, uh, well, you know, they're just tired. Constantly making these, these spiritual excuses for why you've been hurt, or why you should just blow it off. Now, I'm all for living unoffended, but it, it, the enemy loves to get people offended. He loves, why? Because he can drive a wedge in there. The picture is this man or woman doesn't really a human being standing there. And just imagine them riddled with all of these little wedges all through them. And then when they go to reach out to serve something or grab something of importance, their arm falls off. You see, if the enemy can get, if the enemy can wear you out, if you don't have hedges, you're in trouble. You got to build the hedges. But secondly, in part two here, you have to watch out for those slivers. Watch out for offense. Watch out for it. It'll wipe 
you out. And the other thing that comes, by the way, is offense through another. In other words, I've been offended because somebody else is offended. Let me, let me say it this way. You offend my wife, I'm going to get offended. That's like, you know, I don't know, secondhand offense. Heard of secondhand smoke? It's kind of like that. Now, here's the thing. I've been offended at somebody earlier on in my walk. I've learned a little bit since then. Beginning to mature, I hope, I believe. I've been offended at somebody because somebody close to me was offended. And then I found out that the person who was close to me that was offended had it completely wrong. And actually, the person who I was offended at didn't do anything that was off. And there I am when I see them like, so. Man, you know the devil's a bad devil. Many times, there's, you know, I, I don't believe that relationships are destroyed all of a sudden. I do believe that the enemy is on the prowl to destroy relationships. He is, he is working over time to destroy relationships because those are people that will tell you to sit down and be quiet. Those are people that you'll pray with. Those are people that you'll serve God with. And if he can end up causing there to be a division or a wedge or a sliver in your life, then he will rip you off of that relationship. And many, many will just justify and say, well, you know. If you look, I want you to turn to Acts 15, and I'll just go for another few moments. Is anybody getting anything tonight? Acts 15, you see this dynamic couple, this Barnabas and Saul, or Paul. And Barnabas was really the big brother of, uh, in the Lord of Paul, trained him. Um, one of the most amazing apostolic prophetic teams, really. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And in Acts 15, they have this biblical proportion fight. You know, I'm here to tell you that over the years, if the enemy can get these wedges or get these slivers in you, microscopic as they might be, in time they add up. And before you know it, you could blow your stack and, and, and see a relationship just... It doesn't have... Usually relationships don't blow, especially long time, decades of relationships don't blow just in one moment. There's something that built up to that. So Acts 15, and you can look there, Acts 15, 38, if you could bring that up through 40. They have this argument, and it's over uh, John Mark. And granted, Barnabas is, um, can you go verse 39? Barnabas is related to this guy, John Mark, and they're going to go to, uh, there we go. So they get in this fight because John Mark basically turned heel on them when the last time they were in Cyprus. And so Barnabas wants to take him, granted they are related. And Paul says, we're not taking him. He quit. He turned. He was chicken. He freaked out. He's not reliable. He's not faithful. He's not loyal. We're not taking him. And Barnabas said, dude, we're taking him. And this sharp argument comes and what this tremendous apostolic prophetic team that are rocking the world, really, are separated. And they're separating. It's interesting what happens. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. The very place that Mark turned is where Barnabas goes, and he brings him, and he's restored, and he writes the book of Mark, by the way. He was Peter's amanuasis. How many of you know what that is? Raise your hand if you know what that is. I'm teaching you. Amanuasis. Peter told the stories. Mark wrote it out. 
Okay? John, John's gospel is written by John. Is John telling his story? Right? Matthew, same thing. Luke, same thing. But the book of Mark is Peter's, he's Peter's Emmanuelis. Peter told him the stories and he, and he wrote it. And you'll see some of the differences with the walking on the water, different things that took place. And you can see that. Well, how did he go from being the turncoat, turn heel, yellow belly sapsucker that Paul didn't want to take to being the guy that was Peter's Emmanuelis and wrote the book of Mark? How, how did that happen? Well, he had a Barnabas that took him. Now, what was it that separated Paul and Barnabas? When you see the separation of men of God who've labored together for years, and you have to ask yourself, how did that happen? Ask yourself, how is it that, I mean, I've talked to a guy, I'm not, I'm ministry going on 20 years, I'm not 20 yet, 20, I am, I'm, I'm older than 20 years old, I know some of you are shocked, I just turned 48. I haven't been in ministry quite 20 years yet, but almost. But I talked to these guys that have been in ministry for 50 years, and they, they, they have these stories about these men and these women that serve together valiantly. And after 20 years or 30 years or 40 years of ministry, even together, close friendships, they separate. How could it be that, that, that Barnabas and Paul couldn't work it out? It's, it's more than Barnabas being related to, uh, uh, to Mark. It was his nephew. I want you to look with me, uh, and you can look at another time, and I've got to watch my clock here. In Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Go ahead and see if you can bring that up, if you can bring all those verses, 11 to 13. Let's just read verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, this is now Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Now when Peter came to Antioch, I, talking about Paul himself, he's talking, I withstood him to his face. Because he was to be blamed. Go ahead. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. That's a particular group. All right? Jewish believers who believe he had to be circumcised. Let's not go into that. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite. A hypocrite root word for hypocrite is an actor played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy. That's good. So let me, let me say, if, if you're a part of a missionary team, how would you like it? How would you like it if Paul put your name in the magazine to the Galatians? Would you like that? No, you wouldn't like it. I think that something was there more than... More than uh, Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. More than meets the eye in Acts 15. Let me go back. Let me go back further. You know who is the head of the mission? The first missionary journey is Barnabas is the head of that journey. Not, not Paul. Not Saul. Saul got hit by the Holy Ghost so hard, knocked the S off, put a P on. He became Paul. All right. So Saul is Paul. Later he's named Paul. So Paul and Barnabas go. Barnabas is the leader. But when they're there and, and that, that uh, sorcerer bar Jesus shows up under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, Saul begins to take leadership. And he takes leadership in that moment, and Barnabas is behind him. I'm going to tell you something. You watch out sometimes when you're working, you're laboring with somebody who might have a different anointing on you, and there's a moment for them to rise up. Don't you get all offended and bent out of shape? Come on, we're the body. We're the body, all right? 
You know, God help us all if I'm, if I'm running the office administratively. I make administrative decisions, got a gift of leadership. You do not want me running the administrative department. I've got people that do admin. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Right. So the anointing upon me is at this juncture is to preach, to minister, to lead, to do that. And, and you have to be careful when things shift. You have to be careful for the younger the guy that comes up. Come on, God's hand is on this next generation. You can, we've got pastors that are so stuck on themselves that they'll just rot in their pulpit while a whole bunch of world-changing younger guys like you, come on, like you, 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 men and women aren't elevated, aren't raised up because they, they're immature and don't want to step off and hand somebody the baton. And I think, I think Barnabas got bent. Could be. That he got bent out of shape. And so then, boom, the whole thing blows up. The more the strategic, listen to me, I mean, this is a word from the Lord, and some of you can apply it to a particular thing that I'm talking about. I felt like God spoke to me, and it was a warning. The more the strategic, the relationship, the more the enemy tries to destroy that thing. And so when you have, when you have a relationship with somebody in the body of Christ or as a leader, a person in your life, you guard over that thing. You pray over that person, and you watch out for wedges. You watch out for slivers. You watch out for things that can get in there. And over a series of even years, even decades, then boom, right when the enemy wants to hit, cause the whole thing to blow up, and that strategic relationship's wiped out, and a whole region or a whole territory is not touched. Like I said, I do autopsies. Is anybody hearing me tonight? I mean, this is sobering to me. I believe that the Lord I believe that the Lord desires us not only to have hedges but to be careful. Where's that envelope at? I'm missing two pages. Uh -huh. hold on. No. There they are. Praise the Lord. I believe the Lord wants us to be mindful of those strategic relationships. And really, any relationship is strategic. We need to love one another. We need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if the enemy can get you to be used by the devil, well, then he'll do it. And the only way the devil can speak in this church or in your house or in your life is by using your mouth or somebody else's. Well, that was encouraging. Praise the Lord. This chicken coop thing. The, uh, I believe the body of Christ is like that. We have, we have more 10-step groups, 12-step groups, more recovery things, more DVDs. More, I, we have more revelation available to us as the body of Christ than they have ever had in the history of mankind. Uh, and yet, at the same time, we have more weak, anemic, prayerless believers in the church. And we have more pastors and people that are breaking their necks to try to reach, to feed, to help people. And yet, in many cases, we don't see a maturity that's coming. I'm going to tell you something right now. I believe, I believe this, that the Lord very possibly could be cutting 
the chicken wire so that we go through some stuff. I'm going to tell you, when you go through difficulties, they just have a way of causing you to get mature. And you go through problems, has a way of just drawing you close to God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Cindy Jacobs, different ones have been talking about the different things that are heading towards our nation. I'm not a doomsdayer. I know the best days are ahead. I know that we're headed for the greatest revival. I know there's the four blood moons and all of that stuff. It could be that the chicken wire is just going to be caught, cut. Amen. And that all the people that have been eating, you know, pablum and that shouldn't be on milk anymore, be eating meat by now are going to have to boom, grow up. And there's nothing like that. There's, there's nothing like difficulty to cause people to wake up. Come on, we quote that scripture. I want to know the power of your resurrection. Never, ever quoting the next line. Yes. And the fellowship of your suffering. Yes. <laughs> ah, I don't want to know that part. No, there's like an, there's an ease about Christianity in America. It is not true in China. It is not true in the places of the world where it's illegal to be a believer. I heard one preacher say, I think we ought to put razor ban all around the church and whoever can make it up and over, we know those are the ones. I don't know about that. In this hour, in this hour, God is anointing shepherds and leaders to feed his people to pastor his people, to protect his people from the onslaught of the enemy. But the Lord would say even to us tonight that pastors cannot protect you from God. You see, he loves you so much that when you've got issues, I mean, these chickens that we have, they need heal. They, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I don't know if they're right. Yeah, they're GMO. I think. Yeah, no, they're. You know, we're feeding them organically with a crossbred. They're different. They're like Franken chickens. I mean, in nine weeks, they're like eight pounds a piece, and their legs start going sideways, and they're like, rawr, rawr, rawr. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, get back! It's like a dog with a beak or something. I mean, it's creepy. There are some believers that are just so overfed. <laughs> just pretend I'm the evangelist tonight, all right? Just, all right. Praise God, the book table will be open and afterwards if you'd like to buy some of the book. <laughs> I think the Lord's coming with a pair of wire cutters just to help us mature. Here, I wrote this down. The Lord says, I've anointed my shepherds to love and to care and protect my people from the enemy, but I've not anointed them to protect them from me. And the hour is coming when I'll allow my body to experience pain. Turn to Isaiah 53, and we'll close with this. Where is God, you know, when it really hurts? I mean, some of you like living on a roller coaster of pain. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to have that. You can get off that roller coaster. You know, it's going to say you can go to Coney Island and 
try the rides there if you want. Some of you don't even know what that is. But. Go to Six Flags and get sick on those rides. There's no sense developing a, the, you know, the 25 loops in your life to entertain yourself. Isaiah 53 Verse 10, find verse 10, Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Well, that's nice. Another version says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. The Western American church is not taught about suffering. We're just not. And, you know, we're praying for God to deal with America. We're praying for revival. You know, just don't forget that you live here. I've heard people say, bring judgment on America. I'm like, man, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Like, chill out. Let's just have, you know, we don't need judgment. Let's just have revival, you know. But it might be that a little bit of, you know, awakening, a little pain wake you up. Hashtag just saying pain. So it's God's, I mean, you just think, well, God wouldn't allow me to go through difficult things. He killed his own son. What would make you think he wouldn't allow for you to go through stuff? I mean, come on, we don't, you know, I know you're thinking of like apostate or something. No, 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 no. The Lord doesn't want me to be in pain. Listen, God is not the author of pain. He's not the author of death. But could it be that God would allow like a Paul to be on a boat called Andromeda where, what is it, 273 souls are on board and nobody knows the Lord except Paul and Luke and I don't know whoever else is with them. Could it be that they're there so that when they're sinking, he could speak to them so he could stand up on the day when everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket and say, listen to me. The God in whom I serve stood by me and spoke to me and said, everybody will be spared. Now listen. How many of you know 270 whatever people will be like, talk to me, man. Talk to me. What do you want us to do? And then all the people get saved. How many of you know they're in this, they're the Nor'easter or whatever it was? I mean, they, it says they were not eating. Some say they was fasting. I don't know if you've ever been at sea. You don't eat. I don't, I don't call that fasting. It's called seasickness. Could be fasting. Are you following me? Could it be that God will allow you to go through things? Oh, yeah, the devil might have sent the attack, but he'll turn it for good. And God will allow you to go through things so that you can get compassion, so that you can have mercy when you run into somebody else. So that you can, could it be that God will allow you to go through painful, difficult situations? I've, had, I've heard people blaming, blaming, you know, God, where are you? I've lost all my finances or I've gone bankrupt. Could it be that it's their own stupid financial practices? And then they blame God. They crank all their credit cards and just be like, Lord, where are you right now? He's like, where were you when the Larry Burkett stuff was out 20 years ago? <laughs> Larry Burkett. I mean, raise your hand if you know who Larry Burkett is. Come on, you got to be a good steward. You can't live like a fool, crank stuff, and expect God, blame God for the fact that you don't have any finances. You live above your means. Hello? 
Am I, am I talking to anybody tonight? Oh my goodness, okay. Remember, I'm just a guest evangelist for tonight, all right? Could it be that God will allow you to go through things, i.e. The, the cutting of the chicken wire, so that we would mature, morph into strong believers that are not moved by every wind of doctrine and trial? Strong believers. Could it be that God would allow us to go through some pain so we could stand up and really declare the word of the Lord out of an experience of having him bring us through the fire and bring us through the flood, Psalm 166. He brought me through the fire. He brought me through the flood. And he brought me out into a place of rich fulfillment. Truth is, had I not been through the fire, had I not been through the flood, I wouldn't even know what rich fulfillment is. And could it, could it be that God's developing in you a character of Christ as you suffer, as you pray? I mean, I haven't heard too many messages on suffering. Though you slay me. It's too high for me. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, bless your name. It's Job, I've heard people say, well, God doesn't take anything. He took my sin away. He took that, didn't he? And I've had God take things away from me that I needed taken away, and I didn't even know it. I had one pastor give me a word, and I'm, I'm trying to close. I don't know where my, my uh, minstrel is. I had one pastor give me a word years ago and said, I see you like a little two-year-old with a sawed-off shotgun in your hand. I thought, what does that mean? <laughs> he said, would you give a two-year-old a shotgun? I said, No. He said, well, stop it and give it back to the Lord. I thought, I knew exactly what he was talking about, though. Some of, you, some of you just got revelation right there. Come on, stand up on your feet, lift your hands to the Lord. I'm not saying God wants you to suffer, but he does chastise those whom he loves. And I'm so thankful that God has corrected me. And I got corrected today. Listen, if you're here and God spoke to you, you realize you got some busted parts of your hedge, number one. Or number two, perhaps you realize that you've got some, some offense and some wedges and some slivers in some relationships that you have. You better get rid of them. You got to deal with them because otherwise they'll end up causing part of your limb to fall off. They'll destroy your life. They'll destroy relationships. Or thirdly, you know, you might be suffering tonight. And I don't, I'm not going to make fun of that. I do not like suffering. I mean death and I've had some low-grade persecution. No burning at the stake or anything. But it's those situations that cause me to really get to know God. So situations when I didn't know which way to turn or which way to go and I couldn't get a hold of anybody that I'd cry out to the Lord and he would come and he would touch me, he would hold me, he would give me a rhema word and tell me that it's, it's going to be all right. Speak to me and then I watch God move. and Come on, lift your hands all across this place. If you fit in any of those categories... I want you just to respond by coming to the front. Just come. 
You've realized you need to, you haven't built a hedge. This is not the kind of prayer where you instantly get the hedge. You, you have to grow it, but you realize, man, I want some supernatural growth on some of these seeds so I can have this hedge. Number two, you realize maybe there's some wedges, some slivers, some places that are in your life where you need to get those things pulled out like, like God dealt with me today. Just straight dealt with me. Or number three, maybe you're going through suffering and you realize maybe you just need a grace on your life right now to help you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. First, we ask you to forgive us, Lord, for where we didn't see things clearly. And Lord, we ask God that you would help us to build a hedge, that we would diligently build a hedge, meaning we would seek after you and the call upon our lives, whether it be marketplace or in the house or wherever we're called. And we would, at the springtime when kings go to war, we would be where we're supposed to be. We would be in the word. We'd be in church. We'd be in, in the move of the Spirit of God. Secondly, we would develop relationships, godly relationships with people that aren't just yes men or women, but people who would be willing to tell us the truth. No matter how we feel about it, people that are willing to, to stand up and love and correct us, not in front of a crowd, but one-on-one. -on -one. Accountability, true biblical accountability. We would develop relationships like that. Thirdly, we would have worship in our lives, and prayer and intercession, not only over us from being part of a, a committed to a local body, but in our own lives. As we preached on Sunday night, Lord, we would eat the scroll. We would know your word. And we would be in fellowship and, and prayer and intercession and, and practicing your presence. That your glory, God, would come on us in our homes when we sleep. In our cars, Lord. Lord, in the shower, even. In, our kitchens would become cathedrals, Lord. We would... We would Never take your presence for granted. And if we've gotten lukewarm or apathetic, God, we repent. Come on, if there's some of you that are apathetic in the presence of the Lord, that doesn't mean anything to you. Come on, you need to repent and ask God to recharge, restart your heart. Fourthly, Lord, we would live holy. We would live holy and righteous before you. Come on, if you've not been living right, then repent. Just you talk to God. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeping you may devour. He's also toothless for those who are under the covering and the protection and the hedge of Almighty God. So, Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to live holy, for without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And, oh, God, we ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us any places in our lives where there's an offense, where there's a wedge, where there's a sliver. 
so that we could repent, we could remove it, Lord, and you would heal us. My wife and I, we clear before every night. If there's something wrong, we get right. I, I tell her what's going on with me. She tells, her, tells me what's going on with her, and we get right. We go to bed clean. Clean. It's got to be that way. Why? You never want any wedges to get in, ever. Never want to give the devil a foothold. Some of you got all kinds of footholds, handholds. Some of you have a gymnastic park for him. You need to get it, <laughs> you need to get it, get it out. Come on. Get rid of the jungle gym the devil's got in your life. All the offenses and the, over your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister and your, your first pastor, all of that. Get rid of it. Let it go. The last church you're at. Let it go. Let it go. Your high school teacher. Let it go. Forgive them. It's under the blood. If you don't forgive, then you're not forgiven. That's the Lord's prayer. And lastly, when you face hardship, and maybe you're in hardship now, when you face hardship, let me read this to you, Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And I threw, though the Lord makes his life an offering of sin, he will see an offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Watch this. After he has suffered. Everybody say, after I've suffered. After I've suffered. It says he will see the light of life. I will tell you something. I did not understand suffering when my baby died. I didn't understand things when I was going through it. And now I'm going to tell you many times you will not understand. You won't. You set in your heart, you set in your mind that God is good. You don't get a distortion. You don't start blaming God. You settle it tonight. God's good. Then you go through things, and afterwards you'll see the light of life on that. I can look back. I can't tell you the ministry that we have had to people that have lost babies. It could, could it be that you're going through something right now, right now, that will actually give you your lifetime ministry? I believe that for you, Lisa. I believe that what you're going through now is actually going to develop a lifetime ministry. You keep going through. You take every thought captive. Keep going. Come on, don't yield to the enemy. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Can you say amen? Come on, now just lift your hands to the Lord and just worship Him right out loud. Come on, just worship Him right out loud. We trust you. I have asked the Lord, and I won't trick you into praying a prayer that you don't want to pray, but I've asked God to, to shock me now. I want him to shock me now. I want him to show stuff on the inside of me now so I can get rid of it so later on I don't have some destruction. I want to live wide open before God. I don't want to find out at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, son, I told you about that. I want to be shocked now, not then. Come on, it's a godly thing. Search me and know me. You know my rising up. You know my setting down. Come on, just a, a moment longer and service is over. You know my rising up. You know, Lord, my setting down. Search me and know me. Search my heart. Help me, God, to grow a hedge and to be a hedge of protection round about others. Help me, Lord. Help me to be in your will. Help me, God. Help me to develop relationships. Help
have a life of prayer and worship in the presence of God. Help me to live holy. Help me to be unoffended. No wedges, no slivers. Help me, God. Help me to keep a very short account. No account at all, in fact. And lastly, when suffering comes my way, May I respond rightly and be like Paul on Andromeda that stood and declared the word of the Lord and saw hundreds come. God, you can use us like that. Whatever you want to do, Lord, we want to be ready. A workman rightly dividing the word of truth. Ready, willing, able, in season, out of season. And I pray now a binding of demon power that is trying to separate significant strategic relationships in this valley in the name of Jesus. Lord, even in this body, Lord, in the body of Christ, I pray a binding and a, of every fiery dart of the enemy that tries to destroy relationships, the apostolic and the prophetic flowing together. Lord, for the sake of, of kingdom purposes and seeing the great end time harvest come in. Lord, release your power upon us. God, we thank you, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed all across this place. Those online, if you're not right with God, want to give you an opportunity to get right with Him. Nobody moving around. Just a moment longer. Service is over. If that's you, you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you need to make a recommitment. Just pray this right out loud. Say, dear Jesus. Come on, say, dear Jesus. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for rising again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Would you take someone by the hand? We'll close tonight. Praise the Lord. Just reach across. Make a connection all across the front here, all, all in the back. Come on, grab someone by the hand. If you don't know them, go ahead. Tell them your name. Hi. All right. Let's close. Father, we thank you, and we praise you for what you've done. In part two, in the completion, Lord, of these hedges and slivers and suffering message. Bless your people, God. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Be gracious to them. Keep them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll hope to see you on 4th of July on the property. Amen. Men, if you're able to help tomorrow at 10 o'clock, the gates will be open. We could use some hands over there. 3301 East Parks Highway, just past the Dodge dealership. We're right before Sears on Seward Meridian. Praise God, everybody. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065 or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.